All right. Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. Good week in basketball overall. Had a couple showdowns. Wanted to talk a little bit about the MVP update. Got the race for the East play-in spot. And then uh, some depositions. But first, injuries, like we started with last time, continue to impact the league's biggest stars. Jamal Murray, done for the year with the torn ACL. KD exited early yesterday from the Brooklyn-Miami game with a thigh contusion. Donovan Mitchell continues to miss several weeks with an ankle injury. And Lillard has been missing some games with his hamstring. Had some reports as well as some tweets this week that the season might be being played too quickly and is causing an uptick in injuries. So of those four injuries, what's your take on them? And for the overall injury-riddled season, who do you think is to blame? Well, first of all, out of these four injuries, I'd say the worst one definitely has to be Jamal Murray's. Um, I mean, KD, he might have a thigh contusion, but that's essentially just like a really bad bruise. You can come back from that. Um, Donovan Mitchell has an ankle injury, but the MRI and all tests showed um, no serious structural damage. So he's going to be expected to return too. Lillard, I'm sure his thing is more of a, of a nagging injury. Hamstring injuries are notorious for lingering around, but it's something that with rest, you can eventually recover from that too. But a torn ACL, that is extremely rough, especially for what he means to that team. He really does provide something for that team that no one else on that roster can bring. Um, we saw what he did last season in the playoffs for them, regularly breaking 40 points, um, being a knockdown shooter, someone that you could count on to get you a bucket when you really need it during a tight situation. And the worst part about it is not only is he going to miss this season, but Based on the way that the schedule is, he's probably going to miss a um, significant amount of time next season, too, which um, is really tough because the Nuggets this year were looking like a really, really competitive team and a team that had serious playoff aspirations to maybe be a contender to win it. And losing Jamal Murray, I think that's probably the injury that out of all of these changes the complexion of what the ceiling is for this team in the playoffs. And um, as far as for blame, I mean, it's hard to point fingers. Um, no one could have predicted the whole pandemic thing. And it was pretty tough to work with all these unknown factors to figure out a situation where you could have a schedule that was both safe, playable, um, and still was kind of in alignment with the typical NBA schedule, which they didn't want to really alter. They wanted to be able to go into next season having the same starting point an ending point that they typically have, which means, again, another short offseason. Um, and I think that it's circumstantial, but basically having that shortened offseason is something that really was something that all of us predicted was going to affect the, the health of players. But I think the most important um, factor in all of this, and I think one thing that the NBA could have really done to alleviate the situation was, number one, I think they maybe could have had a couple of less games, like if they were really fixed on um, starting the following season at the same time, they probably could have had a couple less games, if not so to dramatically reduce game count, just for the purpose of reducing back-to-backs. A lot of the research shows that um, a lot of injuries happen when you put muscles under strain for a lot of consistent, continuous tension. So it's situations like playing 
back-to-backs or two games in three nights or three games in five nights, those kinds of deals, those are the ones where you worry about. And um, the way that the NBA was scheduled this season, there were a lot of situations like that for teams where it seems that players were having to play a lot of games in very few days. And I think that that contributed a lot to it. It's unfortunate for sure. Um, I think, like you said, Jamal Murray is definitely the worst one because it's the most permanent one. The other three, they will be able to come back this season. I think you also heard that Victor Oladipo is probably going to be back this season as well. So it obviously sucks to miss any player for an extended period of time, and you hope these guys get back healthy. Uh, But overall, yeah, Jamal Murray definitely changes the complexion of the team the most. I think his being out is going to have the biggest impact on whether or not Nikola Jokic gets MVP. Because if the Nuggets continue to uh, impress, continue to stay in the fourth or even go to the third seed, um, and Jokic is the like star there, then he's more of a shoe-in for MVP. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I think it also unlock an element of Michael Porter Jr.'s game, uh, having that second option uh, really go to him overall. So uh, it... You know, it's sad for Jamal Murray. I'm sure he'll be back stronger next year. But in terms of the injury rate, yeah, I think it is based off the NBA trying to compress too many within a short period of time. Also, though, uh, when Jamal Murray suffered his torn ACL, uh, there's been four ACL tears this season. And there's an article that says that this matches the average from the last 10 years based on the data that they keep. Um, and so I think... You know, maybe there is some fatigue from the players in the league, but I think it is easy to say, hey, this is exactly why this is happening versus it just being par for the course, given this is a contact sport and you're playing night in, night out. So I know players have long been saying that they do not want to have back-to-backs and they'd prefer to play 72 games across the same 177 days that they typically do 82 games in. But I think from a revenue perspective, the NBA isn't going to bite on that just yet. Um, so hopefully these guys can get uh, rested and, and come back stronger. I know the league has been missing their top guys, uh, especially LeBron, uh, just due to these injuries. Yeah, I agree 100%. But um, apart from the stars that might be missing time, there are still some stars that are shining bright putting on some monster performances. There was a NBA classic showdown um, this past weekend with the Celtics and the Warriors squaring off. If you saw that game, that game definitely had a playoff atmosphere. Um, Celtics end up winning it at the end, 119-114, but it was close the whole way through. And honestly, it was like watching two heavyweight fighters go at it with Stephen Curry and Jason Tatum both elevating their game, seemingly one after another, just topping each other. What did you make of that game? Who did you think had the better game? You kind of have to give the slight edge to Tatum because Tatum beat Curry overall. Um, You know, the Celtics came out on top there. But what Curry has been putting together over the last, I don't know, two weeks has been... MVP level Curry. He has, there was a a stat line that came out that said uh, the career games with 10 plus made three pointers, Ray Allen, one, Kevin Durant, zero, Kobe Bryant, one, Kyrie Irving, zero, Larry Bird, zero, 
Reggie Miller, zero. Games with 10-plus three-pointers made this week, Stephen Curry, three. So the guy is just doing things that have never been done before. He is breaking his own records. He came out and said that he wants to break Clay Thompson's record for most three-pointers in a game after Clay took that from him. So he's playing on another level. Unfortunately, it has not converted into wins for the Warriors, so there does need to be some additional help there. Um, but Tatum put up a double-double. He got 44 points, 10 rebounds. Like I said, they came away with the win. So I'd give the slight edge to Tatum, but from a stretch of the season, this has been one of the most impressive stretches that we've seen all season or even in the last couple seasons from Curry. Yeah, I agree. This has been really impressive to watch by him. I know that Tatum did end up taking the win in the very end, and he did have a monster game, 44 points, 10 rebounds, 5 of 9 from 3, 16 of 25 overall. But I think that if you were watching that game, seeing Curry drop those 47 points, I think that he was more dominant than Tatum was. It was just so impressive to see the way that he was making the Celtics defense bend towards him. Tatum had a lot more help on the game. He had a strong showing from Kemba Walker, um, some timely shots from Marcus Smart. The bench chipped in solidly. Jabari Parker, who is a new addition, um, gave them 11 points off the bench, which was nice. But if you saw the game at one point, Curry was being double teamed as a guard immediately after crossing the half court line because of the regularity and the range that he was displaying from three-point land this game. He hit 11 of 19 threes, 15 of 27 overall. It was at a point where they were sending their whole team at him. It's honestly a shame that the rest of the Warriors aren't able to capitalize on the sort of spacing that he gives them. But I think that Stephen Curry might have the most gravity of any player in NBA history. He draws defenders as soon as he crosses half court, he needed to double team him. There's maybe only one other guy that you have to do that for, which is Damian Lillard. And you don't do it all the time. You only do it when he's already shown you that he's having one of those type games. But with Curry, you basically have to tell yourself for the whole 48, you got to guard this guy as soon as he crosses half court. So I think the impact that he has in the game is phenomenal. Um, Tatum stole this one, but I think Curry had the better performance. Yeah, well, moving on to uh, some other exciting young talent in the NBA. The Knicks have been thriving with Julius Randle. Yesterday, there was a nice showdown between him and Zion in the Garden. Knicks won six in a row. It was led by Randle. And are they actually a playoff matchup to worry about? I know that we kind of joked about the Knicks earlier in the season, but it seems like they are uh, the real deal. And my second question is, Julius Randle for most improved player, or is there somebody else you have for that? Honestly, at this point, if you're looking at the Knicks in the East, I think that they're someone that you have to worry about maybe in the first round as someone that can maybe steal two to three games from you. I don't think that the Knicks, I mean, it depends on where they go in. If they can get high enough, where they can avoid playing teams like the Sixers and teams like the Nets and Milwaukee, if they can get in at five, one seed higher and go against a team like the Hawks, I think that they have the potential to maybe steal it from a team like the Hawks. So it really depends on the matchup for them. But um, as a team, they've been really impressive. They're 
honestly getting hot at the right time. Um, their defense is legit. Their scoring is very Randall-led. They don't really have a great offense. R.J. Barrett tends to be a little inconsistent. And when Randall isn't having a great game, they usually lose because he's basically their whole offense. But up to this point, I mean, he's been pretty consistent. We have a guy who is now averaging 23.7 points per game, 10.5 rebounds, 6.1 assists, and his PER is 19.94. I mean, he's, he's pretty solid in every regard. Um, his efficiency is, is pretty good. I mean, he's hitting 40% of his three-pointers, which is really impressive, 80% of his free throws, um, 46% from the field. These are all good numbers for a volume score. This is a player that a lot of people sold out hope for when he came into the league. Um, the Lakers really didn't know what position he was going to play or what to do with him. I'm really happy to see that he's really filling out his potential. I think that definitely he's a candidate for most improved player of the year, not only because of the uptick in his scoring going up from 19.5 um, last year to 23.7 this year. I think that his improved playmaking is so understated. He's doubled the amount of assists he's getting, um, being put more in the primary facilitator role for this team. His rebounds are up, which shows that his effort level is up because rebounds usually is a matter um, of effort. His free throw percentage skyrocketed from 73% to 80%, and his three-point percentage skyrocketed. He had never shot better than 34% from three-point range his whole career, and now he's shooting 40% on 5.2 attempts. So I think that he's basically a lock to make it. It's also a feel-good story. The Knicks have been trashed for so many years. Um, Knicks fans literally have had nothing to root for, nothing to be happy about. I think that the writers are going to want to give it to him, not only because he deserves it, but because the Knicks probably could use a positive story for their franchise. I mean, let's be real. When's the last time we heard anything positive about the Knicks? But um, I do like the Knicks against certain matchups. But um, ultimately, I think that they're going to be a team that's going to be a four and two first round out if they go in at the seating that they're at or lower. So interesting stat line on, you talked about Randall bringing up his three-point percentage. There are seven players in the NBA who have averaged 20 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, and shot 40% uh, from three in a season. Four of them are from the season. Jokic, Randall, Vucevic, and Kat. Wow. So Big guys. shows how the league is expanding and shows... Uh, the exciting crop of young talent that we have in the NBA. Definitely. All right, moving on, MVP update. So talked about most improved a little bit there, but want to talk about who's in the league right now. So obviously we talked about Stephen Curry, the stellar weeks that he's been having. Joel Embiid, after he's come back, I think Embiid VP is something that he is uh, definitely looking for. You feel Jokic's grip is uh, slipping in terms of having the lead here? It depends. He's, I think right now, still got to be the top guy. Um, if we're looking at all the factors that go into MVP voting, he's got to be the top guy. Realistically, Stephen Curry probably is not going to win the MVP, even though he's so deserving, just because his team right now is fringe playoff um, contender, he probably won't make the playoffs. I mean, 
he'd need to probably rely on a good matchup in the play-in, and he'd probably have to be hot um, the whole series to get his team through and play out of his mind, which he's capable of doing. But that's not usually the kind of storyline that makes for MVP. Um, it would be amazing if Stephen Curry would be the first guy to win MVP from a team that is pretty much a losing team. But um, I think that Nikola Jokic, as you mentioned earlier, he actually has the ideal situation right now to run away with the MVP. I think his biggest competition for MVP was actually Joel Embiid, who has come back playing strong. Um, the 76ers are still top dogs in the East. Joel Embiid is still having monster games. I mean, over his last three, he put up 36 against the Clippers in a win. He put up 39 against the Nets in the win, a game before that. 36 against Dallas, against Doncic, the game before that. I mean, and these are all teams that are considered contenders. So he's playing great too. I think that right now Jokic has the ability to separate himself from Embiid because now he can have that narrative of, I have my second best player go down. I have to basically pick up for his production. I'm going to have to step up my game to the next level. His usage rate is probably going to go up. He's going to have to take on even more playmaking responsibilities. His numbers theoretically should go up across the board if, um, if he can handle that type of usage rate. And if the Nuggets keep winning with Murray out and Jokic elevating his play, then I think that he basically is a lock to win his first MVP. If they regress, then I think that Embiid probably takes his first MVP. Stephen Curry to supplant these guys. Uh, he is uh, a hairline away from having a 50, 40, 90 season again. And I know you've said several times that in order for Stephen Curry to win, he would need to put up the same type of numbers or even better than what he did in his, uh, his unanimous season. And so if he puts up 50, 40, 90, as well as gets the scoring title away from uh, Bradley Beal, which I think he's only, uh, again, a hairline away from doing. Yeah, he's 0.1 points away from doing that. Then I think it gives him a chance, but I think similar to you, he needs to uh, go on a winning streak with this team to get them into a fifth or a sixth seed potentially, um, which from the sixth seed right now, they're only four and a half games back. So it's not out of the realm of possibility if they were to go on a little win streak here for them to jump over the Blazers, especially with Dame out jump over the Lakers potentially, even though that's a bigger hill to climb with seven games back, but the Lakers are missing LeBron and Anthony Davis still. So if the Warriors were to jump, the Nuggets were to fall uh, with Jamal Murray's absence and Joel Embiid's amount of games that he missed is the big question mark for him for MVP. Then I think Steph has a chance, but overall, I don't think Jokic is going to fall. I think Jokic is still going to take the the MVP. I think it's they're just going to show that they can continue to win without Jamal Murray, and that's just going to prove to everybody that Jokic is the most important person on that team. Uh, and you know, Embiid, I think he'll get one eventually, but I don't think he gets it this year. He needs to stay healthy for a longer period of the season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Definitely going to probably be a big man's to win this year. But um, moving on to that race for the East playoff, as we were alluding to earlier, it's still tight out there in the East. We've got three teams that are tied for the 10th seed, Toronto, Chicago, 
Wizards, which teams do you think have the best chance to make it in? Yeah, I mean, this one's tough because all of these teams have had stretches where they have been very underwhelming. You thought that when the Bulls got Vucevic that they would be and got Tice as his backup from Boston that they would be uh, fighting for more of a seventh or eighth seed, not scraping the bottom of the barrel here in the East that they, right now they're in the 11th spot. So I, I would think that Chicago has the best overall chance to get that spot. Wizards are on a four game winning streak and the Wizards were left for dead earlier this season, but Russell Westbrook triple double machine has continued to just to, to Russell Westbrook. He's been throwing down those monster posters that, we are so fond of and Bradley Beal is still scoring 31.1 games or points per game. So I think the bulls have the best chance to get the 10th seed, but I think the wizards, if they face a Hornets team uh, or even a Knicks team in a play in scenario, I could see them having an opportunity to bounce some people out and take a playoff spot. Yeah. It'll be interesting for me. Um, it's tough because from a roster standpoint, I like the Bulls the most out of those 10 spot teams to sneak into the playoff. They have the best scorer, probably the best two scorers out of the teams that we've mentioned. So theoretically, I mean, outside of Bradley Beal, of course, can't really forget about him. He's far and away number one. But um, after that, the Bulls have the next two guys. So I think that the Bulls, have what it takes from a roster standpoint, but they still haven't really figured out how to get their pieces to work together. So for me, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Raptors to surprise people and take that 10th because they're the only team out of these bottom dwellers that actually has a positive point differential. Um, All these other teams have allowed more points than they've scored. The Raptors Surprisingly, somehow, despite having a game record that is 10 below 500, still have scored more points than they've allowed. So it just seems that um, obviously a lot of their games, they've taken a lot of close losses, but they're a team that has some guys on it like Kyle Lowry that have won on the biggest stage. They've been to the playoffs. Um, Pascal Siakam is still a talented player. Boucher is talented. Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to compete for 10. I don't really know why they regressed so much this year to begin with. They seemingly fell off a cliff with pretty much the same construction of people as they had last year. Fred Van Vliet still there. All those guys still there. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, that they've cratered this big. So I'd, I'd pick them to take the 10th, but I'd probably pick the Pacers to be um, out of those teams that are in that eight, nine, 10 range to be the one that takes the eighth ultimately out of the tournament. All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. Steve Kerr says that the only truly untouchable guys in the league are Stephen Curry, LeBron James, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? I a hundred percent disagree with that statement. Um, I actually think that Steve Kerr would probably trade Stephen Curry for some of these other guys at this point. Not to say that Stephen Curry is not amazing, but he is at this point 
towards the end of his career. Um, I think that there's probably some other players in the league that are even more untouchable, namely Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson, who are probably um, in a tier of their own compared to all of the young stars in the league, because these are the only two guys that are still like less than 22 years of age that are currently putting up Hall of Fame level production right now. Um, and I think that that's probably the most untouchable asset you can have is a player that is extremely young, has Hall of Fame level production, and still has the promise of potentially getting better where you have potentially a whole other decade of a window to compete for a championship if you surround them with the right pieces because you know that you definitely have the foundational piece you need to compete and win. I think that Zion Williamson and Luka Doncic are probably the two most untradeable assets in the league, even ahead of the three guys that Steve Kerr mentioned, just because of the promise of what they can become and how good they are right now. And they have their whole careers ahead of them. So I have to disagree with Steve Kerr. You have two players that if they stay healthy, if they, uh, what they're doing right now are probably going to both wind up on basketball's Mount Rushmore as two of the at least 10 best players to ever play the game. So I think that we're basically seeing the second coming of something like a magic and bird, not saying that these guys are like them as players, um, just saying the type of rivalry where you have two elite Hall of Fame talents that are young and are probably going to go at it for many years to come that are going to be compared. So I, I'd have to disagree with Steve Kerr. Those two are probably the strongest assets in the league. Yeah. And, and not to mention, I mean, I think the list is probably 15 players. It's not just those three. I would put Damian Lillard in that list. I would put, like you said, Luca in that list. I would put Zion. I'd probably Can't even forget put, Durant. Yeah. But I could see Durant forcing his way out. So I don't know necessarily like I, but that's different than a team willingly trading uh, yeah, someone else. I know. I, I just, I see like anybody who's untouchable being like, if I was a GM picking up the phone to call you as a GM, you would hang up the phone on me once I mentioned that player's name. And I guess you could put Kevin Durant in that. I put Donovan Mitchell there, Jokic in there. Uh, Jason Tatum in there. Donovan Mitchell that. Donovan Mitchell, there's Utah a is not trade. getting a Donovan Mitchell replacement. You, okay, but you would trade Donovan Mitchell for, I don't know, Kawhi Leonard. You would probably trade Donovan Mitchell for uh, Zion Williamson or Luka Doncic. You would make that trade. They would. So I wouldn't say Fair. that he's untradeable Fair. because they would definitely trade him if that was available. It's just that that trade would never happen because again, the only truly untradeable guys are the ones that fit that bill hall of fame level production, at least 10 years left of this type of production and the potential for still getting even better. That is what makes you untradeable. I think that those are the only two guys and maybe those are also the only two guys that may not even be traded for each other. Like I think that maybe Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson if they, I don't know, if the Pelicans tried to offer um, Zion for Luca, Mavericks would probably say no and vice versa because they both think they have the best guy. And they, I mean, who's to say which one is right? At this point, we don't know which one's better, but that is why those are the two top tier 
assets. I actually believe that the Lakers would trade LeBron for Zion if they had the chance, just because of what it means for your championship aspirations for years to come. It's just, you can't compare it. Yeah. Well, moving on, we have a great segment here, the deposition where we take a recent Twitter user's tweet and uh, just talk about it a little bit more at length. So Jimmy Butler recently came out and called the heat soft implied bam Adebayo needs to be more aggressive and play bully ball. A Twitter follower sent in their sworn statement of why they feel bam cannot compete in the paint quote. He needs to hit the gym and put on some weight like Giannis did. No one is afraid of him in the paint until he bulk up. He'll be going through the same shit year after year. End quote. Yeet seven mode. What a name. So why, why do you think this sworn statement from yeet seven mode is incorrect or correct? Well, the thing is, Bam is an undersized center, um, according to what most people say. He's only six foot nine. For a center, I guess that is undersized. But I think what's wrong about this statement is Bam's aggression or lack of activity in the paint, I don't think is something that has anything to do with being physically incompetent or not being strong enough. I think that um, what it really comes down to is a mindset thing for him. There's no reason why Bam Adebayo, who is 255 pounds, mind you, he's not, a, he's not a small guy. He's got a seven foot two wingspan at 255 pounds. He can dribble like a guard on occasion when he wants to. He's quick enough to guard the opposing team's best point guard in isolation, as we've seen, and he's done it in the, big, in the biggest moments. He is an elite talent. Um, in terms of physical measurables, he's an athletic freak. So it's not a matter of getting in the gym and getting stronger or any of that. It's honestly all about shifting a mentality. That's what it really is. Because if we're looking at Bam Adebayo, we can honestly compare him and his frame and the playing style that he should be adapting to by comparing him to two other guys that we've mentioned earlier on this podcast. Um, if you look at Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson is shorter than Bam, although he is heavier than Bam, but he regularly gets in the paint despite being a shorter guy and he finishes over centers with regularity. And when he doesn't finish over them, he usually gets to the free throw line. Bam Adebayo is an 80% free throw shooter now. There is no reason that he should be shying away from contact in the paint if he's going to attack the rim. He's going to get to the line and knock those down with some pretty good regularity. I'm not saying that Bam Adebayo should be Zion Williamson, but if you look at a guy like Julius Randle, Julius Randle is less physically gifted than Bam Adebayo. He is six foot eight, one inch shorter, He's 250 pounds, five pounds lighter, with a shorter wingspan, is not as quick, doesn't have as good of a vertical, and he still gets into the paint with regularity and is putting up 23.7 points per game. Bam Adebayo, the way he is currently constructed, should at the very least be rich man's Julius Randle. There's no reason why he shouldn't be rich man's Julius Randle. Um, 
it's really just a mindset thing. I think that what it is is that for Bam, he came into the league um, as a guy that was never really thought of as an offensive player or a guy that could contribute on that end. And that's a role that has recently been assigned to him. And it's not like 100% natural for him yet. He has to start developing the mindset of the scorer. There's too many possessions where he lets the, uh, the defense off the hook because he catches the ball and he doesn't even look at the rim or the basket. He's just immediately searching for a handoff to pass it off to somebody. The best scorers in the game don't do that. The best scorers in the game know that the first thing you do when you grab the ball is you look at the basket and you see if you can make a play that you can score. And if you can't, then you do your secondary option and, and third option. You can't be literally catching the ball and letting the defense off the hook where you're not even looking at the rim and the defense can say, hey, we're just going to play him to hand it off because we know he's definitely not going to attack. You can't do that. He has to be more like a Julius Randle mentality or a Zion Williamson mentality at that physical profile where his mindset is, I'm getting into that paint and I'm going to make you defend me inside. And if you foul me, I'm going to knock down those free throws because I'm a good free throw shooter. And he's got a little mid-range jumper too where teams have to respect that. So his spacing should ideally be a little bit better than it was in years past for driving against bigs because they have to respect the jump shot. So they got to play up on him a little more. There's no reason he can't hit him with a couple dribble moves and get by them. And I think that's, that's really all it comes down to. It's not about his strength or his physical profile. It's about having a shift in mindset. And I think that he would do really well to do some plays for him where instead of having Bam be the screener for shooters, they have shooters be the screener for Bam so that Bam can get down to the rim already with a head of steam. And if the defense collapses and they double him on the drive, he's a good passer. He can pass it back out to the shooter that screened for him. He can pass it back out to a different shooter. The Heat have some shooters, but I think that they have to leverage their greatest asset, which is Bam, and make him more of a focal point on offense. And that starts with him um, changing his mentality and starting to think more like a scorer. Yeah, and I think the other thing to keep in mind too, Kevin Garnett weighed 240 pounds, 6'11". Kevin Durant is 240 pounds, 6'9", 6'10". Draymond Green, who is the traditional ball, small ball center, 6'6", 230. So Bam already weighs more than those guys. He doesn't really need to bulk up. And bulking up may mess with his frame and how he plays basketball and mess with his shot too. He's lean and athletic. I think, like you said, it comes down to a mindset thing. And clearly if there are other smaller, taller, and lankier people who can still get in the paint, dominate, and show their offensive prowess. Uh, Bam doesn't need to put on more weight to do that. He just needs to be put in the right sets. And like you said, have his uh, mindset change. Yep, I agree. But that is our court session for today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You know that we've got new sessions every Wednesday for you guys. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Um, feel free to send in your sworn statement and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Try to prove me wrong. You know that we have the best opinions. With that, I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stewart. Court is adjourned. Okay.